Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Um, from 7 till 8 p.m. this evening and every third Friday of the month, I produce the Ask Your Herb Doctor uh, show, and we are very pleased to have uh, Dr. Raymond Pete with us uh, every time, it seems, and thankfully so. Um, for those people who live in the area, uh, there's a 707 number, and for those people outside of the area, there is an 800 number, because it is a call-in show that we open the lines up from 7.30 until 8 o'clock, uh, with people invited to call in with questions either about the topic of this month's show or other topics uh, that are related to uh, some of Ray Pete's um, research or are just health-related questions in general. So the number, if you live in the area, if you're in the 707 area code, that's 707-923-3911. If you're outside of the area, um, we do get people calling in from all time zones across the states and people in New York and Finland and uh, other South American places even. And the 800 number is 1-800-568-3723 uh, for those people listening on the web, uh, especially the callers who are actually... At four o'clock in the morning now. Actually, I think that interna- the 800 number might not work from outside of California, actually, but okay. almost certainly not internationally. Well, how do people get? How do people call him from Finland? I think he's just calling the 923 number, like wow. like international calling. Okay, right. well, there you I mean, go. He's... It's expensive, so I hope he's paying for it. So <laughs> well, he he's awake awake at the time. So we, I know we've yeah. got a uh, a pretty good hardcore, an incredible uh, wide range. Yeah, of people listening to what Ray Pete has to say. Uh, anyway, so this month, uh, we weren't here in February, uh, but in January, uh, we did a uh, show on the continuing misconceptions surrounding progesterone and the seemingly inexorable and continual uh, promotion of estrogen uh, by the drug industry and unfortunately by uh, less informed medical care professionals uh, who are bombarded with uh, quote-unquote research into estrogen's benefits when actually the evidence uh, fairly clearly shows that progesterone is in fact the protective hormone for which any woman, either of menstruating age, if they are estrogen dominant, or especially at menopausal uh, times in their life from the late uh, late 30s for some women, but uh, mid-40s to 50s, um, progesterone is actually a very important hormone uh, to maintain the anti-inflammatory arm, uh, whereas estrogen is the most inflammatory hormone that is continually secreted throughout a woman's life. So uh, in January's show, then, we discussed the PROTECT and SYNAPSE. These are acronyms. Uh, PROTECT and SYNAPSE trials of progesterone's anti-inflammatory effects used in the treatment of traumatic brain injury. Uh, and the paper was published in the Journal of Neurotrauma, uh, June the 1st, 2017, outlined several reasons the design was flawed and unsuccessful. Uh, these were primarily due to uh, suboptimal dosing and treatment durations in the Phase 2 studies. Secondly, the strategic decision not to perform Phase 2B studies before initiating Phase 3. And thirdly, the lack of incorporation of preclinical and Chinese Phase 2 results, as well as allometric scaling principles, into the Phase 3 design. Uh, it's also been inferred the 6% soybean oil forming the liquid emulsion, or the lipid emulsion, beg your pardon, uh, into which progesterone was dissolved 
in its own right causes neurodegeneration. Now, Donald Stein, a 30-year PhD brain injury expert at Emory University, was part of the team which published the paper in the Journal of Neurotrauma. So pregnanolone, that's pregnanolone, not pregnanolone, but pregnanolone and allopregnanolone are synthesized de novo by astrocytes and oligodendrocytes from cholesterol. Now, astrocytes are found within the central nervous system and perform a variety of functions and oligodendrocytes, which form the support and insulation to axons, are also in the CNS, forming the myelin sheath. Now, pregnanolone and allopregnanolone are what they term positive allosteric modulators of the GABA-A receptor and demonstrate anxiolytic, sedative and anticonvulsant activities similar to the benzodiazepines like Valium. Now, this same GABA receptor is also acted on by valerian, uh, producing the same effects used for low mood disorders, anxiety and sleep disorders. Now, when progesterone levels decrease, GABA-A receptor activity also declines and contributes to the excitotoxic effects accompanying insomnia and agitation with energy being wasted and reserves depleted. So once again, we're very uh, thankful to receive Ray Pete into the show. You with us, Dr. Pete? Yes. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Uh, as always, I'd like you to outline your academic and professional background just for people who perhaps have maybe never heard you before. I'm PhD, University of Oregon, 1972. Uh, I started studying biology there in 1968 and uh, specialized in uh, reproductive endocrine physiology uh, studied a few uh, other things previously okay so uh, notably I think I just want to mention for people I know you did uh, a lot of research into aging uh, and the negative effects of aging and what was understood with aging then because I think in terms of uh, progesterone especially uh, as an anti quote unquote anti aging product um, this research was also at the time uh, kind of uh, a touchy subject because I think the estrogen industry even then uh, was pretty dominant, wasn't it? Um, uh, yeah. Interestingly, Donald Stein was studying psychology there right around the same time I was there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, my first question to you, and um, this is something that I was just thinking about in terms of um, progesterone's protective effects because you've mentioned in the past how estrogen typically is associated with waterlogging of the cells uh, and an excitotoxic state of the cell where energy is being wasted and uh, I know you've mentioned a lot concerning uh, substances like thyroid hormone and aspirin um, pregnanolone, progesterone that protect against that do you think progesterone uh, would be a useful substance in a heart attack if given uh, soon enough, I know that Hawthorne extract has been shown to reduce ischemia following heart attack if given within the first few hours of the event. Uh, so do you think um, progesterone would be useful for a heart attack instance? Um, uh, yeah, in all sorts of crisis situations, it uh, lowers the uh, damage uh, that's done by the interruption of the oxidative processes. It uh, lowers inflammation and, and uh, helps to restore energy production. Um, the, the, um, it, it's very parallel 
need the active thyroid hormone, and it, it helps to produce that, and the T3 helps to uh, increase the ratio of progesterone to uh, estrogen. And uh, T3 is equally uh, acutely protective to the heart. Uh, several years ago, when they were doing heart transplants, they found that if they gave the donor, the heart donor, T3 before removing their heart, that that heart was much more successfully implanted. Wow. So uh, I, I, I can't help but thinking uh, from an energy uh, supportive um, uh, functionality that maybe that's how thyroid uh, is working in terms of uh, stabilizing cells, energizing them, and making them ready for work, as it were, as opposed to the depolarized, uh, you know, having spent its energy states that most substances like estrogen, for example, would um, promote. Um, yeah, in the oligodendrocytes that you mentioned where uh, progesterone is produced, uh, <clears throat> T3 is the active thing that promotes its production there. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I wanted also to ask you that, um, and again, we've covered uh, this in several radio shows uh, oh. in the past about... Um, the hoax of global warming and um, rising CO2 levels and uh, all of the fanfare uh, by Al Gore and others to uh, levy a carbon tax on every single head on the earth to pay for the damage uh, of our own uh, success, if you like, or our own uh, creativity. Um, but <laughs> we recognize that, that the early earth, uh, if you look back at uh, fossil records, um, the early Earth records showed that the Earth had a massive, lush vegetation and that CO2 levels were significantly higher then, uh, promoting this vegetation. Would you, would you, I know you've mentioned in the past the similarities between carbon dioxide and progesterone. Um, so just to help people encompass that thought of how beneficial carbon dioxide really is, uh, and equate that to progesterone's uh, protective effects. Um, uh, one more comment on the relation between T3 and, and progesterone is that both of those uh, increase the production and retention of carbon dioxide. And another point on uh, giving progesterone to a, a recent heart attack, um, the effect of estrogen on the energy production, which makes the heart able to beat, estrogen delays the restoration of the energy needed hmm. to make the heart beat, and that yeah. shows up as prolonged QT interval, and progesterone shortens that interval, makes the heart less likely to have a rhythm problem, because go. it accelerates the ability to return to the resting energized state where it uh, can beat rather than uh, cool. having an arrhythmia event. And carbon dioxide has that same muscle stabilizing effect. Um, at high altitude, uh, for many years they've talked about the lactate paradox. Um, a person can work full force at high altitude uh, without producing uh, the excess lactic, uh, lactic acid that they normally would produce at sea level. And, and 
That's because the body at lower oxygen pressure is able to retain a higher uh, balance of CO2 in the tissues. And that stabilizing effect uh, in the working muscle is very similar to what progesterone is doing in the heart and brain. Okay, so this again probably lends some more credence to the uh, data showing that uh, people living at high altitudes have uh, longer lifespans. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you look at uh, how, how sleep is affected um, at, uh, under stress, uh, when someone is having altitude sickness, uh, they develop insomnia, and it's primarily the low thyroid people who develop uh, altitude sickness because they hyperventilate. Rather, they were hyperventilating chemically even at sea level, and when they go to high altitude, that hyperventilation or a low uh, retention of CO2 shows up uh, as an acute problem. Uh, But at sea level or at high altitude, if your thyroid function is good uh, and you're well saturated with carbon dioxide, um, your sleep, uh, restful, slow-wave sleep, the deep part of sleep, is longer in proportion to uh, the amount of CO2 in your tissues. And uh, they've experimented with having people sleep in atmospheres with uh, from one-half percent to one-and-a-half uh, percent or even higher at those moderate but uh, greatly increased CO2 levels, uh, there's a dramatic improvement. Uh, the slow wave deep sleep is extended uh, greatly in, in the uh, around 1% CO2, where, where normally it's only about 400 parts per million. And that's, that's the regenerative part of sleep, isn't it? The uh... Yeah. Okay, let, let me just uh, hold you right there. Uh, One little question for me first is, yeah. does that imply that when athletes are taking oxygen on the sidelines in the football game, they should have some uh, carbon dioxide mixed in with that? Or yeah, just doping yourself be. with carbon dioxide in general would be a good athletic performance? Uh, yeah, it should be 5 or 6% of CO2 in pure yeah. oxygen. And at, on some of the Mount Everest experiments, it was traditional to have a, a plastic or rubber bag to put zip the person up inside the bag with oxygen uh, at the high altitude to help them recover if they were becoming mountain sick. And someone found that what happened in that plastic bag was uh, they concentrated their breath, CO2 mm-hmm. increase, and they found that giving the high altitude uh, sickness uh, patient pure CO2 Okay, let me hold you there for a moment, Dr. Pete, because the uh, lights did flash about five minutes ago, and I was kind of holding off just to get a little bit further down the road here. But uh, let's take this first call and see where this call is going. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hello, you're on the air. Where are you from? Yes. Hello? Hi. Where are you from? What's your question? Uh, yes, hi. Um, I'm from Southern California. I have a question for Dr. Pete. Go Hello? Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, hi. Uh, hi, Dr. P. Thank you so much. Thank you for all your contributions to humanity. Thank you. I would like a question about, um, I have a sibling who has 
a history of infertility and has uh, had uh, um, very high prolactin levels. And she cannot bring it down with um, West thyroid, thyroid, two grains a day, or progesterone. And she and she follows your diet very carefully. What else can she do for her prolactin? Bring it down. Um, has she um, taken her temperature and pulse rate to see how she's responding to the thyroid? Yes, she does that very well. She does all of that. Uh, so you think it's a thyroid medication that's not working for her, the two grains of red um, thyroid? Uh, yeah, the, it, it's really important to, to look at your various indicators. For example, the Achilles relaxation reflex. Uh, if you kneel, let your toes hang down, have someone thump your Achilles tendon so that your toe jumps out, it should relax just like a, a piece of floppy rubber. Uh, if your thyroid is good, but uh, about two-thirds of the population, it comes back like it has a door closer on it, meaning that uh, it, if it was in your heart, it would be a prolonged QT interval. It, it shows up as a delayed repolarization or relaxation of the muscle when your thyroid is low. It, it, I, I've uh, found it pretty uh, pretty commonly that what you think is going to be a sufficient um, dose for someone, they start using it and actually have to increase it quite a bit more than they were using just to get the effect. And some people are just very stubborn. No one is, no one's alike. And uh, I know you've mentioned a lot uh, with temperature and pulses as a, a diagnostic indicator of someone's metabolism, Dr. Peter. And uh, you've also mentioned just a minute ago the uh, Achilles tendon reflex and that what, the, what you call the repolarization, that very the quick flick out, but the slow return to normal, that's indicative uh, of the cell's stressed state where it's not repolarizing quick enough, uh, and um, that is a, a sure sign uh, of hypothyroidism. So for that, the lady who was just listening to that, if you, you basically kneel on a chair uh, and have your feet extended behind you, and then someone can tap your, um, your, your Achilles tendon and see the uh, reflex uh, response there. Was it? Was there anything else? <coughs> excuse me. That you think might be uh, responsible for the high prolactin, or do you think it's pretty much something that could be corrected uh, with thyroid hormone given enough? Isn't it an adenoma? I mean, or tumor growth, or anything like that that could be causing um, it? Uh, yeah, yeah. If if there's really a, a tumor yeah. that's secreting it, uh, bromocryptine is almost always successful at shrinking it. Uh, but uh, if the tumor isn't uh, very large, you can, I think, uh, just as uh, reliably do it by keeping your thyroid function a little above normal for two or three weeks and watch the, the prolactin as you you first should see the TSH go down close to zero because the same serotonin, uh, which rises in hypothyroidism, uh, activates the production of prolactin. So the, the TSH uh, descent will be followed by a slower uh, lowering of the prolactin. Okay. Okay. And uh, she had I want two more questions. She wanted to know how you cook and safely, safely cook and eat your mushrooms and also your marmalade because she's having difficulty making those two. 
Well, what was the first thing? Mushrooms. So, for the, I guess for the anti-aromatase activity that uh, you... Oh, um, yeah, I think eating, it's safe to eat about a cup of well-cooked uh, white-button mushrooms every day. And then how, how the, I think the lady was asking how to prepare them, but you were just... Just boil them. Yeah, okay, you boil them. Okay, how about frying them in butter? That tastes good, too, but yeah. they, they should stay at the <laughs> boiling temperature for at least an hour. I know, I know when my wife does it, she does cook them for at least 40 minutes, but um, uh, you think about an hour, then, huh? I think so. Okay. They're, they're probably safe after even 15 or 20 minutes, but just to be sure. She was just talking about it tonight. She was just saying how you'd mentioned that uh, uh, raw mushrooms have uh, cancer-promoting substances in them, but that the uh, paradox was that well-cooked mushrooms uh, had that anti uh, that aromatase-blocking activity. Um, yeah, and, and with... Uh, Marmalade, it's important to get good organic oranges. You don't want yeah. any insecticide or fungicide in your marmalade. Or you don't, as an orange. You just said you need to make sure you've got certified product because any any yes. residues will be in the skin, and that's where you're going to be making your marmalade. But not, but not the pith of the orange, no. correct? No. No pith, okay. Just making sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate You're everything. Welcome. You're Thank welcome. You. We do have two more callers. I know some, some people do use a pith, but uh, I, I, we never did. And were you making it with good navel oranges that are ripe and ready right now, folks? You want to make your marmalade? Um, they're all there. They won't be around for long. A very short harvest uh, for, for navels. Anyway, we've got two more callers. So let's take this first call. Where are you from? And what's your question? Hi, I'm calling from Finland. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just talking about. How did you call in? Do you call on you? You, you call a regular seven zero seven nine two three three nine one one number, or that's correct. Okay, yes. there you go. All right. Well, good for you. Works go, fine. Go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering about um, the potential um, positive, but perhaps also negative effects of uh, donating blood for the donor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering if. For example, this might um, help get rid of uh, perhaps um, metals. And I was also wondering about uh, could the um, the longer lifespan of a female be linked to the fact that they are um, basically getting rid of blood uh, for their lives every month. Yeah. Well, from an iron perspective, definitely good to donate blood to get to lower your iron. But Dr. Pete, what do you what would you have to say about uh, donating blood? Um, uh, yeah. As far as heart disease goes, uh, the incidence of uh, uh, heart heart uh, damage of, of different types um, increases at menopause, so that women become uh, similar to men for the high rate of, of heart damage. And that's probably because they they had been throwing away some excess iron while they were menstruating. Um, besides the red cell iron that you lose, uh, I think you can get a great benefit if you uh, keep your if you do, aren't eating too much iron. If you keep your red cells but donate the plasma, uh, it might not be good for the recipient, but it's, it's uh, very good to uh, get rid of some of your stress-induced microspheres. <laughs> there you go. That's, a, that's another way. Another way. Did, did you get that? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, 
you're you're doing a lot of good to a lot of people. Thank you for that. Yeah, well, thank you for that. What time is it quickly in Finland again? Uh, it's between uh, 4 and 5 a.m. <laughs> and the uh, temperatures are, I believe, around 7 degrees Celsius, uh, Fahrenheit. So 7 minus, Fahrenheit, it's pretty cold. Uh, <laughs> negative Celsius. Okay, well, hopefully you're keeping could, your vitamin D levels up. All right, the Could phone. we use you as a Finnish correspondent sometime? Absolutely. Okay, hang on for a second, okay? We got another caller we've for got, the show right now. We have about, at least yeah. two more. So let's uh, let's take this next caller. And then, caller, you're on the airway from? Uh, New Jersey. My name's Joe. Hey, Joe. Thanks for calling. What's Questions. your question? Um, first one on in the context of CO2. Um, I guess progesterone, sugar, and other things will help. Plus, um, thyroid hormone will increase CO2 just by diet. But you've also mentioned in the past about CO2 um, cartridge, in, uh, taking that CO2 gas and putting it in a bag and putting it in your body. Is that sort of a distressed um, application? Or if your body is, or your cells are smart, if you use that bag of CO2 on a regular basis, would your body acclimate to it and actually get better at retaining CO2 because it would essentially, the cells would be memorizing it for, for you know, simplicity's sake. Obviously, I'm butchering it, but is that, or is that more a one-off situation? No, I think that's distressed? exactly what happens. You're training your cells to uh, take advantage of uh, the lactate paradox effect. Uh, the longer you stay under the influence of higher CO2, uh, the your bones uh, are charging up on it. Uh, if you're in a submarine, for example, for two months, uh, you are still uh, assimilating CO2 into your bone structure. And so it, it lasts a long time after you're at high altitude or in a submarine. Okay, so you're saying that what I'm saying, it makes sense. So if you actually did that, you are, you are teaching your body, and that would be a, a pretty powerful way to supplement you know, the normal... I mean, if you're taking a little bit of progesterone as a man, I guess that's okay. But um, normal thyroid, you know, salt and sugar and things that actually increase your your thermogenesis and your your, your CO2 retention. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, you're you're training some parts of your brain not to be hypersensitive to CO2. Estrogen makes your uh, nerves overreactive to CO2. So, under the influence of too much estrogen. Everyone hyperventilates and blows out uh, too much CO2, and the the CO2 temporarily sort of anesthetizes that process and gradually trains you to uh, stop hyperventilating. Okay, great. I'm glad I, I I'm glad I've been reading a lot of your stuff, and and as I read it, um, these thoughts come to me, and that's never been discussed. That's a really good thing to know. And it doesn't take how long would you have to do it? I mean, if you did it for, it's like you. I think. Um, uh, another person, maybe one of the moderators, said that she, she went to uh, one of the uh, mountains in uh, Mexico, and you said the health benefit lasts for, if you're there for two a week, it lasts for a long time afterward. That's essentially another way of saying what you're saying. The body gets used to yeah, some of the some of the Russian studies where they took animals up for six months, uh, they were still showing the 
greater mitochondrial efficiency at the end of their lives two years later. Wow. Okay, the second question, thank you for that. The second question relates to the most, this, this whole notion that man, man just brought up on toxic metals. So there's hair tests that you can get, and this has actually never come up on any of these shows or even in your writings, where you can actually measure the amount of, of, of metal, toxic, toxic metals, and preferred um, minerals in your hair because unlike the blood, it's, 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 it, it, the hair's dead, but it, there's no reason not to give you a relatively accurate reading of what your toxic metals are. One of the toughest ones, it seems to me, is the, the concept of balancing copper and iron. And I know you've mentioned if you eat with your meat, you eat, you have coffee, but I think that only gets rid of the heme iron. I don't think there's any way to get rid of the non-heme iron. So I'm wondering, as you get older, um, I know you, you know, you'll probably consider yourself older after you get over 100, which, but, but for other people, um, iron-copper balance gets really challenging over time, particularly if you lose um, the, the CCO enzyme. So what is it that you can do aside from giving, giving blood is stressful in the body too, so I didn't actually understand your answer to the last gentleman, but it's not just iron and it's not just copper, but copper, iron, and manganese apparently are very complex in the body, and toxic forms of that can really create havoc, and you really haven't touched on that. Do you believe in hair tests, Is it in summary, and what's your view on how to balance the copper, iron? Um, hair uh, is extremely able to uh, bind even out of the air, but uh, so many people have copper plumbing nowadays. If your yeah. water is at all acidic, it will absorb enough copper out of your plumbing to uh, totally invalidate any hair test if you wash your hair, uh, because your hair will catch uh, all of the uh, copper to, to saturate it just, just out of the, uh, the wash water. Inter interesting. Okay, so you're saying hair tests, by definition, are generally not valid because they... Uh, yeah, toenail clippings are considered uh, better, but even your toenails can soak up, uh, if you wash your feet too often, uh, they can soak up uh, minerals out of the water, especially copper from the plumbing. Well, how do you get rid of toxic metals, and how do you balance copper and iron over time? Because apparently you're supposed to lose your copper as you get older, and as you mentioned, both men and women retain more iron, men maybe earlier. That's essentially probably why they die earlier, generally speaking. Um, that's why I advocate eating shellfish because they're they use copper for blood instead of iron, right. and uh, a constant once once a week shellfish will, uh, I think, keep your your copper up where it should be. And is, do you agree? There's a balance between the two. Are they fighting for? Uh, yeah, with with age, as you uh, overload on iron, that tends to displace. Uh, copper from the enzymes where it's used. Elastase in blood vessels uh, tends to uh, deteriorate as it loses copper with aging, uh, and uh, the pigment is displaced. Carl Pfeiffer, who was big on the, the fear of copper, uh, took a little sulfur every day uh, because he knew it would uh, reduce the absorption of copper, but uh, when, when I met him, he was in his 70s, and he had no trace of pigment anywhere. His, his skin was absolutely pink, and his hair was pure white. I think that was because of the 
uh, creating a deficiency of of a, a copper by too much sulfur. Interesting. The, the last question, I'm sorry, one other So I saw an article, and it talked about all these health people, Adele Davis, who you've referenced, many others, Jim Fix, all these people <clears throat> were the rage, right? And they're all dead, like, before 70. <laughs> now, you're, you're, you're probably going to be 120 before you consider yourself a senior citizen. But you're, you're, I don't think there's anyone who is, well, there's no one as expert as you are, but also who understands it fundamentally, because it appears that you're defining the age you know, too. A lot of the people that you've studied didn't make it that long, so they clearly didn't fully understand it, or it's well, possible Adele that Davis, you just yeah. got lucky genes. I don't know. Adele Davis, I think she lived to about 80, but uh, she was totally misinformed on the polyunsaturated fat issue. Her, her, I think she included it in uh, her tiger milk recipe, for example. Okay, we do have two more callers, so let's uh, let's give these callers a chance. Thanks for call. Okay, next caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? What's your Hello, question? Hello, I'm from Blue Lake. I'm a member, and thanks for your show. Hi, Dr. Pete, um, Dr. Murray. Um, I have always had high estrogen my entire life to where I, I'm 59 now. I stopped menstruating at 55. Uh, I was high estrogen to the point that I had uh, the brown blemishes on my cheeks um, and bursted cysts on my, uh, throughout the entire time of my, like, 8 or 10, which are mm-hmm. incredible. So uh, you were saying about the um, correlation between high estrogen and inflammation. I haven't been able to listen to the show for a long time, and um, I'm... Wanting to know, um, now I have Lyme issues and I have uh, candida issues and things. And I'm wondering, I've heard that Rishi can help with this, help counteract this estrogen. Uh, I mean, now it seems lower since I've reached menopause. I think I have, um, I'm, I have a better sex drive than I've had in the last 25 years, which is very strange. And um, I just... I'm wondering if Rishi can still help. I'm still having these inflammation issues. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, let me just quickly say, first of all, um, progesterone is the counterpart to estrogen dominance or any estrogen uh, issues you'd have had in inflammation. And, Dr. Pete, I wanted to ask you, you've always, because uh, when I was studying, it was always that testosterone was the drive, you know, for males, and it was the thing that was responsible for virility. And you're actually saying that estrogen is very responsible uh, more responsible for sex drive, and there's this lady, really? and she's just called in now saying her sex drive is better than ever. What, what do you, what do Very you? Very strange, Doctor Pete. What do you think about um, estrogen and relation to sexuality? It just takes the conversion of any androgen to estrogen in certain parts of the brain to increase the libido. Huh. Uh, so it it doesn't have to be in your serum. Right. Okay. I see. Okay, so it's a conversion of, uh-huh. of an androgen. Okay. Well, the reishi mushroom I've heard is good for inflammation and these things, this inflammation issues with the lines and different things. I've been fighting it well, but um, what do you think reishi is a good thing or um, the the button I, mushrooms like you yeah, said? I know I, they should I, be I think, all cooked. I, I think, and again, it's a little bit of a uh, um, it's a little bit of a re-education exercise here uh, in terms of the actuality of limes 
I I have known people that do respond to ELISA tests with very strong positive banding. But Dr. Pete, uh, you're not that um, you're not that convinced about uh, Lyme per se, as opposed to uh, low thyroid issues and other inflammatory processes that could be borne out by low thyroid that actually respond well. Uh, yeah, to your, your body will go into a chronic inflammatory state in in reaction to uh, the, the Lyme bacteria or... Uh, yes, I've had the ELISA test and... Candida and so on. Yes. If, if you get your, your uh, resistance up and your, uh, for example, DHEA, pregnenolone, and progesterone uh, will... Uh, favor the right conversion of uh, just just the right amount of estrogen, not too much. And uh-huh. you can boost that regulatory effect if you still have too much general estrogen with, with things like the mushrooms, uh, aspirin. Uh, and, uh, yes. Um, what did you say? You said D-E- DHEA, DHEA and something else and then progesterone in a uh, well... Uh, Moderated dose. Pregnenolone. Pregnenolone. Okay. I have one more question, sir. With iron, you were speaking of iron and how too much iron for even women, and I've never known that, and I haven't been able to hear enough of your um, talks on this show to to know what you meant about iron not being great for us. But I've been told my whole, whole life that I'm iron deficient, and I've tried to correct it uh, naturally with uh, molasses, blackstrap molasses, and cider vinegar and things like that. And um, I'm wondering if that, I'm on the right track with that. Um, uh, doctors for at least 100 years have been uh, diagnosing iron deficiency in women. Uh, 100 years ago, they were prescribing arsenic to treat yeah. it. But either arsenic or iron supplements do stimulate uh, the production of red blood cells because uh, the red cell production depends on stress. And uh, you create a local oxygen deficiency with arsenic or iron, and so it it can increase the formation. But the problem is usually that your uh, long bones, arms and legs... I do. I have really a call, the temperature of your extremities goes down as your thyroid function decreases or your estrogen increases. So high estrogen always tends to cause slight anemia appearance uh-huh, uh-huh. just by slowing the production that of makes red That makes sense. So I also have high lead content in my blood. I got a chemical test and I have lead. Um, uh, drinking milk, orange juice, and coffee will correct that over a period of weeks. Okay. Thank you so much, sir. Okay, you're welcome. Uh, okay, we still have uh, another caller on the line. Let me just say this quickly before that caller uh, gets on. Uh, the number, if you're in the area, is 707, is 923-3911, or the 800 number is one 800 568 3723 and Dr. Pete, I'm uh, very lucky to have him on the show. So go ahead, caller. Where are you from and what's your question? Um, James, I'm from the west, uh, west and stuff. My question was how come uh, boiling for like an hour or better? 
what was say again? I didn't actually. Just tell me where you're from again, and what was your question again? I'm from uh, Sotokov, and I and I was just curious on the uh, why boiling the mushrooms for an hour or so. Right, right, okay. He's wondering why you should cook mushrooms for an hour in order to get that activity that you've mentioned or we've mentioned in previous shows about the uh, aromatase blocking activity. Um, uh, the um, hydrazines are heat sensitive. Uh, it's believed that the hydrazine compounds are the carcinogens. And uh, they evaporate and break down, uh, and uh, around an hour will uh, drastically lower the concentration. Uh, longer would would be better, but I think it's completely safe because uh, it, it's a balance between the pro-carcinogenic hydrazines and the anti-cancer. Agents uh, which are multiple, such as uh, lowering the uh, aromatase function. Right. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, so the uh, we have another caller. So, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from, and what's your question? Uh, is it me? Yes. So where are you from? What's your question? Okay, I'm from Virginia. Virginia. Uh, my question is relating to. Um, Ornithine. Uh, what was that? I didn't. I didn't catch that. I'm not sure. Dr. Or, Pete would have. Ornithine. It's an amino acid, yeah. and uh, I believe that it helps remove ammonia. And uh, I know that Dr. Pete has mentioned in the past about potato uh, juice being boiled and that um, helping to use the ammonia to make. Um, uh, amino acids uh, for the body, but what about at night if you're having trouble sleeping, taking a little bit of ornithine to mop up what is typically excess ammonia in everybody's body? Is that reasonable? Um, I, it might help with the ammonia, but uh, I would worry about the uh, promotion of cell division uh, if you used it uh, chronically. Uh, it's one of the uh, things that activate cell division. I see. So which amino acids? I know you're not... Oh, on, uh, well, it's the keto acid equivalent of, of the uh, essential amino acids that uh, the keto group is uh, uh, substituted with uh, the uh, ammonia. So they turn into real amino acids rather than keto acids. I see. Okay, so then you're saying that's not a good idea. What about L-threonine? It's the only other amino acid that I was thinking about. Is that that one? I've read on some of your blogs that, not uh, blogs, not that you've written, that threonine is helpful for preventing cancer and maybe helping metabolism. Um, I don't think it's very safe to um, use individual amino acids. Uh, glycine is the only one I know of that is safe by itself because it can be used as energy. One other question. I think earlier on the show you're talking about insomnia. Um, um, with, and I think it happens to me sometimes and other people. And if you get up in the middle of the night, it's 
uh, no fun because it's hard to know what to do. I, I know I've heard some of your suggestions, but if it's endotoxin related, um, there's a product called Monolaurin. I don't know if you've written about it, but it's related to coconut and and, and you just mentioned Lyme disease. Apparently, people think that that is useful for that. Is that um, safe to take? Is that useful instead of carrots periodically to sort of re, you know, readjust your intestinal flora in a positive way? It, it does have a, a good effect, uh, killing a lot of uh, fungi and bacteria. Uh, but uh, several years ago, when the, the guy was promoting its development, I forget his name, but uh, he asked me to sign on to, to advertise it, and I asked him if he had done any tests to see if it didn't have a, an action like soap on the intestine. It, it, it is a, an a, a emulsifier, and it, it could, uh, in, in a large dose, I think it could be irritating to the intestine, but uh, he... he uh, didn't have have any uh, opinion on that, so I didn't uh, participate. But, so is, is, your, is your view that, that periodically that could be useful from time to time, but not on a regular basis, or is it don't do it ever, like ornithine? I, I would just be cautious. Uh, like MCT, uh, the, the, uh, the part of the coconut oil that is more liquid, just a small amount of that can can cause intestinal irritation and diarrhea in quite a few people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're saying that's the highest risk side effect. If you don't get that, then maybe the intended effect is positive. Yeah, yeah it's probably not doing any harm. Okay, so if I, uh, one is completely unrelated. My question, you, you talk about not eating too much muscle meat, right? And I think you've made comments that in the past, um, you know, people used to eat the heart, the brain, you know, the kidneys, everything. Um, but now liver is something that's clean organ and you can eat that. What if what if you were able to get from clean animals, um, um, if, if, heart, desiccated heart, brain, but periodically it's not as good as the actual organ, maybe not as clean, but, but if it's from a grass-fed animal and you get all the, a little bit from all the different organs... Would that have some rejuvenatory effect or not? Uh, yeah, for example, the brain has a very high concentration of progesterone, uh, DHEA, and pregnenolone. In a so man it, or a woman? Uh, yeah, it's like, like taking a supplement of, of those steroids. Oh, you're saying if you did all that, you're saying that would be the equivalent of taking uh, yeah, supplement yeah, of, eating, of those hormones? Yeah, the brain. Uh, oh. I knew someone who... Uh, uh, was was a Norwegian. She said that in her coastal villages, everyone ate fish head soup at least once a week. And she said that everyone that, that she knew uh, lived to be 95 uh, if they were eating their fish head soup. I know you've always advocated the uh, whole animal, I think, way more than uh, meat when we first uh, started uh, finding out about you and working with you and you've always said that the uh, things like bone broths uh, and now <laughs> gosh now bone broths are like the biggest thing on the uh, supplement shelf and i think they have been for about a year ago when i first uh, saw them but anyway um that um things like 
bone broths and knuckle broths and lamb shanks uh, are gelatin rich and it's the uh, wide range of amino acids not just the muscle meat that's the actual beneficial effect or be- beneficial part of the proteins that we get from it and way more balanced and less inflammatory than muscle meats so does that mean the answer is that if you could get you know a grass-fed you know desiccated product that had a lot of the different organs in them that it may be beneficial even though desiccated powder form is not ideal but if it's the only way you can get it and you're relatively sure that it's you know what the what the product says it is would that presumably that would be beneficial yeah. I, I would I'm worry cautious. about the dehydration yeah. process um, in the, the uh, fatty acids and the, the uh, tryptophan and cysteine are very sensitive to uh, oxidation, uh, and they can break down into a lot of toxins. So uh, you would have to be sure that it was dehydrated under nitrogen. uh, It just seems like a risk. And that's why you're always advocating uh, good quality food as your source of nutrition, just because it's alive and hasn't been processed. Yeah, eggs, for example, uh, have uh, lots of, of... extremely beneficial substances. Some of them are just being uh, discovered, and they're always fresh. No one eats a snail right. egg. <laughs> Good right, point. Right. That, that makes sense. Okay, we better, okay, we better hold it there. I've got a few things I wanted to ask Dr. Pete myself. Thanks for your call. Um, Dr. Pete, okay, it's, it's already eight minutes to eight, and I think we've got callers from 7.15 the, the outset um, I hardly I've hardly got through anything uh, compared to what I was going to ask you about um, and I guess we're going to have to do it next month but I think I wanted just to ask you about uh, a um, catamenial I mean I never even actually heard the uh, the uh, the phrase but catamenial epilepsy uh, and the estrogens and I was reading about the uh, classes of estrogens uh, and how these both estrone, estriol and estradiol um, how they trigger epilepsy because I've actually had a couple of um, epilepsy uh, female epilepsy patients that have really responded very well to thyroid and progesterone how, how do you, have you come across catamenial uh, oh, epi- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. what's your uh, what's your experience um, uh, that um Katharina Dalton was uh, one of the uh, early people working on that. Uh, uh, in the 1940s, she uh, started treating premenstrual syndrome uh, with progesterone, and uh, there isn't a terrible difference between uh, uh, catamenial uh, uh, epilepsy and PMS. Right. Uh, one of the first people... Maybe it was the very first person I ever, no, the second person I gave progesterone to was someone who had migraines when she was in her 30s and she was a school teacher. And uh, a doctor said migraines are like epilepsy. And so he prescribed uh, uh, an epileptic uh, treatment. And she said it made her too stupid to teach. <laughs> and uh, so. When fall term came, she uh, stopped it and had an epileptic seizure. And the doctor said, see, I, I told you my migraine was right next to epilepsy. But um, anyway, she kept having seizures for 
until she was um, in her early 50s when I saw her. And every year the neurologist would give her an IQ test and uh, say, uh, now your IQ has deteriorated <laughs> to the point that you're an idiot. Uh, don't go out of the house alone. And uh, when her son brought her to talk to me and I, I showed her how a progesterone can be absorbed through the skin and she had two stiff arthritic fingers. She dipped it in the solution of progesterone and uh, I, I gave her some to take home and, and a chart to fill out. And uh, a few days later she came back all by herself with her chart filled out uh, showing that her symptoms had all disappeared and she was grinning and bending her fingers. Right. <laughs> and uh, within a few months, she went back to graduate school and uh, got straight A's, got a master's degree in uh, gerontology. Wow. Showing that <laughs> gerontology. The, the, the psychologist or neurologist was right that uh, epilepsy is closely related to uh, PMS, at least. Uh, she, she was simply having a, a premenstrual migraine, and sometimes that shades over into epilepsy. <laughs> well, uh, let me hold you there, and I'll just finish up with the last few minutes to let people uh, know more about you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll definitely carry this on uh, next month if you're available. Okay. Okay, uh, I wanted to uh, let people know that Dr. Pete's uh, website is raypeat.com, uh, and that website is full of articles uh, related uh, to things like thyroid and aspirin, um, cascara, progesterone, um, the things about Alzheimer's and cancer and iron's toxicity, and lots of lots of articles fully referenced, uh, basically uh, almost almost close to peer-reviewed articles because of the uh, the work that's gone into them, but. Dr. Pete's a rather controversial figure, unfortunately, because a lot of what he says flies against the medical establishment in terms of their indoctrination. But like anything else, you know, science is science is such a positive thing because it it's reproducible and you can't you can't pull the wool over science's eyes really a, a true science you know that is objective and empirical and reproducible so as time goes on uh, a lot of what we've been told was good for us has been shown to be bad for us and those things that were bad for us are shown to be good for us and a lot of the times it's uh, a kind of um, corrupt process of uh, uh, either drug manufacture or um, just downright uh, criminal behavior on behalf of some of these huge corporations uh, like the fish oil people but um anyway so his website is repeat.com and next month uh, i will finish off the uh, progesterone versus estrogen uh, data uh, with a few other questions i had for him and a, a discourse by a swedish uh, phd who's a specialist uh, in female reproductive hormones who just goes on and on and on about how positive estrogen is for you quoting all these bizarre statements that i know dr pete's going to have uh, some fun uh, debunking uh, but just to show that it's a deeply entrenched belief and uh, yeah i remember him saying um, a lie gets around the world faster than truth can get her shoelaces tied um, so just be aware people uh, the internet's an excellent resource for all sorts of things but it is mixed with good and bad but anyway uh, pure science for science's sake can be found uh, and again uh, the last thing that we'll do 
uh, after we finish up with the progesterone estrogen uh, is do a, a little uh, expose on positive thinking uh, and quantum research's uh, bystander effect now showing that the observer has an effect on the experiment without actually doing anything it's just it's just quantum science is coming of age and the internet is the age of knowledge uh, and i think more than ever we are ready to receive uh, what we're getting now and so a lot of the old dogmas are just fading away fortunately and um, we really are coming into an age of enlightenment so uh, for all of those who ask questions this evening thanks for tuning in and uh, firing dr pete up uh, and the same time third friday uh, of next month from seven to eight uh, i'll be back and um wow we've now gone forward an hour so <laughs> for whatever that means it means we just open our eyes at the same time but the, the clock tells us the time's different anyway uh, thanks for those calling and if you want to find out any information about myself uh, westernbotanicalmedicine.com is our website um yeah thanks so much for listening Eat